the Cell Phone Junkie Podcast, episode 339 for November 25th, 2012. AT&T now allowing FaceTime over cellular for most, T-Mobile's 1900MHz HSPA Plus expansion comes to 10 additional markets, and some signal booster advice for those in hard-to-reach areas. My name is Mickey Papillon. And I'm Joey Coppice. Brought to you each week with the help of listeners like you, subscribers to The Cell Phone Junkie Unlocked. More information at thecellphonejunkie.com. The show is also supported by the Cell Phone Junkie podcast application, available now for Android and the iOS for $1.99. Well, first today, Joey has a new toy. All right, Joey, let's hear all about it. Well, an iPad fourth generation with LTE on Verizon uh, was recently acquired last week, and I got to try it out this weekend, actually kind of on a mini vacation over the uh, the Thanksgiving break. And I do have to say, Mickey, the LTE built-in is a winner. Oh my gosh, was that ever convenient and easy. Granted, it's not that hard to tether the phone to it. That's that's very easy. But just grabbing the iPad and having all the, all the notifications already up and ready to go all the time was just slick. And of course, I was in not rural South Dakota, but I was in a small town in South Dakota and there's full LTE everywhere, as was most of the four-hour drive to South Dakota through all the rural areas had LTE, which was pretty uh, staggering once I got uh, uh, kind of away from the Twin Cities. So... They've uh, built out their LTE network like crazy. The uh, data speeds were awesome. And of course, the coverage was much better than I've got with Sprint out there for a number of years. You know, the phone isn't sitting there roasting in my hand trying to get signal like it, like the Sprint phones usually did. So had great battery life and it was just really neat to be able to, uh, to uh, use the iPad like that. I got to tell you, I'm a huge, huge proponent now of the built-in connectivity into tablets, and especially if you're going to use them while you're on the go. It's, it's, it just is something, one less thing you have to think about uh, when you know not having to tether it to a phone or trying to find Wi-Fi. It's just, it just works wherever you're going. Uh, and especially in a situation like you were at, I, I, if I recall, you, you were not going to a place that had any sort of Wi-Fi once you got there, correct? Yeah, no, no Wi-Fi at all. So um, it, it's my only internet connection when I'm there. And it, and of course, also with the iPad sake and, and the, the shared data plan on Verizon, uh, the, the hotspot is included in that plan as well, which of course, with the huge battery that the thing has, it can, uh, you'd said you'd gotten 24 hours of hotspot functionality. So I was able to use the iPad to provide internet connections for the laptops that we uh, were traveling with as well. And that's, I think, one of the bigger things with it is that, you know, yes, if you want to tether, of course you can tether, but then you're also sacrificing some of the battery on your phone. However, if you have that connectivity in your tablet, you can share that connection with other things that are out there, including your phone. And, and this is actually something that I do from time to time because there are a lot of things that I like to do over Wi-Fi uh, and not have just occur, uh, you know, over the cellular connection on my phone for sake of battery and for sake of saving data and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, if you are sharing that, of course, it doesn't really matter when you're doing things. But uh, consider something like a photo stream uh, on the iOS device and where you have to be in Wi-Fi in order for those to uh, for those those photos to upload. And so you, you know, just tether the, the phone to your tablet and there you go. You've got your Wi-Fi connection. So it's a it's a nice thing to have. And I was I was really excited to hear that you had such great LTE service along the way and, and especially 
especially when you got there. Um, you know, did you take advantage of it? I mean, obviously you could, you know, certainly use any sort of connection, you know, when you're out there to check email and stuff. Did you do any uh, like high bandwidth type stuff? Of course. I had to watch some Netflix movies, you oh. know, it's uh, take advantage of that. The one thing is, is the, um, the, the, the use of the high definition video, which I, it was a movie that, that was in high def. It was over a gig for like the two hours that the, the movie was. So uh, that could have quickly eaten up the month's worth of data there if I wasn't being careful. So I did a slight workaround and switched the LTE off. So it went to EVDO. That unfortunately was just not exactly fast enough to keep playing the whole entire time. Like it, it would run for about 10, 15 minutes and then all of a sudden there'd be like a, a 40 second pause in the movie for it to rebuffer again and then it would keep going. But uh, that actually cut the movie uh, the next time I, the next night I tried it and it was around like 500 megabytes. So it, it cut down a, a good portion of the data use for the, for about the same amount of time. So you were gone for, I mean, obviously this Thanksgiving weekend, you were doing a little traveling. You were gone for what, three or four days. Do you know what your total usage was over the period? Yeah, it was uh, one point, uh, it was like 1.4 gigs. Okay. So I mean, not too bad, especially when you throw in some tethered computers and, and stuff in there. That's, that's, that's really not all that bad. But, you know, I, I look at this as a kind of a use case for, for those that are, are thinking about, you know, whether or not, you know, you should, should you get one with the built-in connectivity or not? And this is, I think, the perfect example for it. And if you're, if you're thinking about tethering and, and maybe you wanted to, you know, pick up a, a MiFi or something and be able to share it, I, I think this is a much better way to go. I really, I, I totally I think the 130 bucks, even though it seems steep, is worth it, and uh, I, I love it. I spend a lot of time using it. Um, in fact, I was out and about this weekend as well and used it quite a bit uh, in a scenario where uh, it was absolutely necessary to have the connectivity. Well, with the uh, with that on the iPad, for example, you do get the uh, GPS and GLONASS built into it as well that you don't get on the regular iPad. So, and uh, I actually did test out, and it does have full fledged turn by turn navigation. So you've got this gigantic navigation screen with you in the vehicle uh, to 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 do some driving, navigating if you want as well with the the LTE models of the iPads. I always thought it would be neat to find some sort of mount to, to put it up there if that was something that if you didn't have and, you know, happen to have a, a built in screen in your vehicle. But, um, you know, certainly also could potentially be a distraction because you can do so many other things on it. But, you know, for those that are interested in in doing that, you know, there obviously are there's there's certain solutions out there that can do it. But uh, I don't know anything else, you know, fourth gen, obviously, it's got the retina display. Um, it's got the lightning connector. It's got the, the higher definition cameras, faster processor, stuff like that. What, what else have you noticed about the about the hardware? Well, I did notice uh, yesterday I was browsing the web a bunch, um, and that's where the uh, the processor and memory really do shine. That makes a big difference. You know, with all the other applications I was using, yeah, the retina is amazing to look at. It's uh, making everything else look blurry and broken to me. So like I was just commenting before, my computer monitor, I'm looking at the show notes on, I'm like kind of squinting at it, thinking something's wrong. So uh, that's uh, quickly, quickly becoming a kind of uh, being very spoiled by that screen. And uh, I did notice it getting warm, however, when I was using the, the, doing the web browsing, the back of the iPad was starting to get warm. And not once uh, did the iPad 2 ever, uh, did I ever notice that. So there, there's a little bit of difference. 
Yeah, and I think that was one of the things that uh, when people first saw that the third generation or felt it, that is, you know, they, they did notice that, you know, heat gate, if you will, that there's, you know, a lot of heat that's generated with, uh, you know, not only the, the, the processor, these faster processors, but of course the screen as well. Um, and it is interesting how much the screen actually is taking up of the battery. And I, I don't, uh, I don't doubt that Apple has, has made a lot of sacrifices um, to make sure that the battery life is as good as it can be. Um, and it's just, of course, sucking down a ton of it. Um, this is obviously very apparent when you do things like, um, you know, I do a lot of air video, air streaming, uh, air, airplay, I guess that's what it's called, um, to an Apple TV. And uh, when you do that, I just turn off the iPad screen and I'll watch, a, you know, an, an hour show and it'll take like 2% of the battery. You keep an iPad screen on for an hour, that's 10% of the battery. So, um, you know, and that's, you know, when you're doing airplay, you're, you're taking something, it's taking it from a source, taking it over Wi-Fi and streaming it to another source. So it's actually doing quite a bit, but it doesn't take that much. It's really that uh, that screen that takes up a lot of it. So uh, I'm guessing you're enjoying the Lightning. You know, both your iOS devices are, are Lightning connectors now, so you're, you're all in there. Pretty much, yeah. I still have that iPod Touch 4th Gen that has the 30-pin, uh, but I don't connect that very much. So, no, I actually really like those uh, Lightning connectors this uh, this weekend because then I could just kind of charge either one kind of... I had one thing plugged in, you know, one uh, power source plugged in, so I was kind of swapping between the two. I, did, I don't have a secondary iPad charging block, so I was just using the iPhone charging for it. And that was working okay? It didn't... I mean, obviously, it's slower, right? Yeah, it's just much, much slower, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tried the uh, Zag Spark also, and... That would give me the being. I think I think it was fully charged as AgSpark. It would give me about a twelve percent boost on the battery life, and then the thing was dead on the for the iPad. Yeah, and one thing I've noticed about that, and you're 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 probably right. I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't take uh, long to to pull all the juice out of it, uh, and that's six thousand milliamp hour. Um, but you know, of course, it's coping over on, on two amps as well. And one thing I've noticed too is even when you have it plugged in. Um, it will only get you fully charged if you're at about 70% or higher um, because it's, it's not only, and that's even if it's plugged in, uh, because not only is it pulling from the wall, but it's also pulling from the battery as it's trying to charge up the iPad. So if I get, uh, when I'm traveling and whatnot, I try and keep it charged up as much as possible because I'll, I'll hit a point where I can't get it fully charged. And then I have to unplug the iPad and just have the zag plugged in to charge that up before I can plug it back in. So not optimal, but, uh, if you, if you plan accordingly, you can be okay with it. So, um, yeah, but it's it, it's interesting though that you're you're doing it all over the the iPhone connection. I would not have thought about that. I would have done it the other way. I would have brought the iPad block and uh, charged the phone over that. Although I, I guess that you're probably kind of don't want to do that as all that often just because of the the higher amperage, correct? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, I, the phone probably doesn't use that much power. To, it probably knows uh, how much to take. So I don't really know if that's uh, it's probably okay to do. Okay. Well, either way, Joey's got an iPad 4 or fourth gen iPad, whatever you want to call it. So he is now uh, in the dual LTE camp, uh, as am I with our devices. Love it. It's a great way to go. Uh, and it's a fun, uh, I guess, early holiday holiday thing to, to chat about. So uh, we also talked a lot more about that on this week's Unlock Show. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But if you're interested in finding out what are some of the best holiday gift ideas, make sure you check out this week's Unlocked Show. Let's jump into the news, though. First off, this week, FCC Chairman Julius Janikowski approved plans from Dish Network for a nationwide LTE network in the 2 gigahertz band. Janikowski said that the approval of more than 40 megahertz of spectrum for the 4G network is part of the FCC's plan to create a more uh, competitive wireless market for the U.S. The FCC has placed conditions on the proposal for approval, including the requirement for a spectrum auction of part of the proposed frequencies. Also, lowering the output level was part of it as well. Dish Chairman Charlie Urgen says... 
telling us to lower our power levels cripples our ability to enter the business. We want to enter the wireless business, though. We have $6 billion more that we want to spend on building this out, but the FCC could make this extremely risky for us. This proposal is expected to go to a vote by the FCC by the end of the year. Yeah, ask Light Squared what, what the FCC can do to them. So it's a, it, is, it is risky for them if they cannot get the approval and have it not be reversed or something like that uh, by the time they get the, the, the network built out or get all the plans made before they start doing that. And, you know, one of these things that, that I always get concerned when I see this dish network, for example, I think, okay, we've got a TV distributor that's, uh, that wants to provide wireless. So then I start seeing the, oh, well, they're probably not going to allow Netflix. And what are they going to do to th- throttle you down and try to push you towards their TV providers? Or the, You know, I start seeing that. It's like I would so much rather have a, a neutral third-party company be our, you know, data providers rather than these types of media companies be our our data providers i i just i just don't like this so if this story sounds familiar we actually talked about it uh, on last week's show but it was under kind of a, a different heading and that was the fact that google and dish network have been meeting recently and the rumor that's come out of this of course is that google is potentially launching their own wireless service but uh, basically the same types of details came out of it we're talking about this two gigahertz band network that the fcc has named aws for uh, 40 megahertz there um, and they're trying to finalize the rules on how they would be using the spectrum. And so this is, you know, what we're hearing out of this is that there could be some some issues with power levels and in, in these frequencies that um, could potentially have could have something there. Now to maybe uh, you know calm some of these concerns you have, would it make it any different if it was Google that was operating the network and it was just Dish that was you know actually owning, let's just say, the spectrum itself, and Google had basically done the implementation? Yeah, that to me, that doesn't seem nearly as bad. But, you know, of course, Google's starting to get more into the content delivery as well. But, 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 you know, traditionally, they haven't really, you know, they try to stay open as much as possible is really what it seems. Yeah. And I, I look at uh, what, you know, they could potentially do. This could be a big disruptor for those that are, are not interested in carrying on the traditional model of, of a, you know, a cellular plan where you've got voice and, and text and, and data with just as much as we're doing on the data side now. Um, you know, I was thinking about it the other day. If I wanted to get a secondary phone, I already have one that's got unlimited minutes. I do all my texting over Google Voice. I don't need either one of those. The only thing I need is data. So, I mean, it's, I don't know, there's something like this, depending on what they would decide to do. And this was, of course, the, the kind of the rumor with it is that it would be built through the Google Voice system and you'd have um, kind of more integration that way with voice over uh, IP type telephony. And of course, the, the text would come over the data side and stuff like that. But um, I, I look at everything that is going on uh, here and I think that there's, there's some big news probably coming out here very shortly, uh, if not late this year, early 2013. And it could be very exciting for those of us that follow the industry because I, I love the idea of having yet another piece of this wireless puzzle. Could it could be definitely nice for consumers, that is for sure. Well, AT&T began blocking FaceTime over cellular access for everyone without the mobile shared data plans until last month when a change allowed tiered data LTE users in on the video calling action. Mac Rumors this week, however, is reporting that some users are experiencing the functionality on devices with no LTE functionality, and some are still on grandfathered unlimited plans. They say the majority 
majority of the reports are coming off the East Coast, and those that still get a uh, get a failed call should try turning off their phone and then turning it back on. BGR says they've confirmed on two iPhone 5 handsets with unlimited data plans that FaceTime has been enabled. To check if FaceTime over cellular is activated on your device, following a phone reboot, browse to Settings, General, Cellular, and then scroll down to see if the FaceTime toggle is now on. Well, that's good for AT&T customers, that's for sure, because it's, you know, to me, how many people are really doing FaceTime calls? Does this really matter for them if they, it's like it was one silly little thing to uh, try to push people over to the shared data plans. And, you know, I know for like Verizon customers, especially for iPhone 4S users who have the FaceTime capability over cellular, it's really, really slow and poor over eVideo. It, it really doesn't work. So, I mean, it works, but it's, it, it's rough mostly. I, I'm kind of, uh, I, I don't know, I, I'm excited about this for, for the majority of the customers out there that, that actually care about this. Um, it, uh, it checks yet another box for those that are okay, you know, staying with AT&T. This was one of those boxes that was not checked that, you know, kind of made my ultimate decision of leaving them uh, earlier this year to um, to switch over to Verizon. But um, it's, again, it's it's a good thing for those that care about this, but you make a good point how many people are, are using FaceTime. Uh, and then if you are, how often are you trying to use it over your your connection. Um, it does take a lot of data. Um, I did a, a quite a long call this week and I, I, the call was something like 200 or 250 megabytes of data, um, you know, for the FaceTime call. So it does, it does chew up a lot of bandwidth, which isn't necessarily, I guess, a bad thing. I mean, it's, it, it's, you know, for, for the, the quality of what you're getting, it's, it's fun, um, you know, fun to be able to do that. You just have to be able to manage what it is, uh, you know, if you've got a cap or anything like that, or if you're on one of these unlimited plans, you have to know that once you get to three gigs, you're going to be slowed down significantly and have to deal with that uh, through that amount of time. So either way, though, good news. Uh, most people now on AT&T, if you've got an iPhone, should have FaceTime over cellular working if you've got iOS 6. Verizon on Tuesday announcing the expansion of its 4G LTE network in several markets throughout New York. The new markets include include Poughkeepsie, Greene County, Utica, Rome, and Binghamton. The new coverage continues Verizon's march towards full network coverage with LTE by mid-2013. T-Mobile on Tuesday announced that it had moved HSPA Plus data service in 10 additional markets to the 1900 MHz spectrum. Those include Phoenix, Mesa, and Tucson, Arizona, San Francisco, Modesto, Oakland, San Jose, and Stockton, California, and Miami and Fort Lauderdale, Florida. T-Mobile currently offers HSPA Plus services in the 19 megahertz band in baltimore houston kansas city las vegas and washington dc i actually had planned on uh, popping my t-mobile sim into a, a device uh, into my ipad to just to see if i was going to be able to pick up the 1900 megahertz service i haven't been able to do so yet uh, they did not mention uh, my suburb in this list of towns and i know they they were actually looking at other areas around the phoenix market including tempe scottsdale glendale glendale peoria Surprise, Awatuki, Paradise Valley, if those of you that are here understand what I'm talking about. Also, Chandler and Gilbert. Um, I'm a little bit north of all that, so I probably wouldn't get it here, but uh, I'll try and give it a shot this week and just see if T-Mobile is popping up for me uh, in the, the what would be now 3G or 4G type of services. So this is good news for those that live in those areas. U.S. Cellular on Monday announced that they began offering unlimited 4G LTE data plans for $40 a month. The plan can be used with any of U.S. Cellular's LTE smartphones with tethering available for an additional 20 
$20 a month. The carrier says that 58% of its markets will be covered with LTE by the end of the year. The only caveat, the deal is only good for a maximum of 24 months of service, after which you'll have to choose a different data plan. Republic Wireless on Monday announced that it had shed its beta tag and had formally launched uh, has, has formally launched its low-cost service. Republic uses Sprint's network and offers unlimited calling, texting, and data for $19 per month via Wi-Fi and cellular data. Hybrid calling, the technology behind Republic's network, is available on the Motorola Defy XT, which is $249 plus a $10 startup fee. Well, as we talk about each week, you can help support us here at The Cell Phone Junkie and the work we do by signing up for TCPJ Unlocked. The Unlocked podcast is our twice-a-month show offering in-depth conversations about the latest in cellular, as well as interviews and much more. Sign up is easy. Just visit thecellphonejunkie.com. Click the link for TCPJ Unlocked and choose from either a monthly or quarterly membership. A big thank you goes out to everyone that subscribes. As we mentioned at the top of the show, this week, our 2012 holiday gift guide, we talked about what devices and accessories are hot for this year's gift giving season. We also talked a little bit more about Joey's new iPad. So make sure you check this one out if you're looking to pick up a new, either a smartphone or an accessory or anything for the holiday season. We've got your guide for you. Well, Apple this week has uh, been uh, has announced that they will be selling $99 refurbished units through AT&T. Now, this is an interesting thing because obviously we have not seen any refurbed units uh, as of yet. And of course, we're still seeing two-week wait periods for those that are picking up iPhone 5s uh, directly from Apple, but they are now available uh, refurbished starting at $99 for the 16-gig model. The 32-gig model is $199, and as you'd expect, the 64-gig iPhone 5 refurbished, $299, all of those with a two-year contract. The Nexus 4, the must-have Android device of the season, may have LTE after all. Apparently this week, XDA developers' forum members have been reporting that it can indeed run LTE, but only in LTE Band 4. That means 1,700 and 2,100 megahertz frequencies. Those are not used here at all in the U.S. Canadian carriers TELUS, Rogers, and Bell all use LTE Band 4, and there's actually a video showing the Nexus 4 running on the Rogers LTE network up in Canada. This is quite strange. You know, after all of this time, you know, they, they, they market it and they launch it as just an HSPA plus phone, uh, but it has LTE built in. People are using it and, and saying that it works just fine. It's, uh, uh, you know, you kind of you, you kind of question now what other devices may have this kind of stuff built into them. Well, I think usually a lot of the sites that take things apart and analyze the chips, there's a lot of people kind of looking at the guts or even looking at uh, when they're doing ROMs, they know what kind of uh, chipset they have. This one right away, they identify that it has one of the, the chips that have LTE. You know, and the reason they probably didn't market it this way, they probably got uh, chips at a discount from Qualcomm, you know, that, that, that maybe just don't have real good LTE test outs on them. They could be, uh, you know, not factory seconds, but they could be, you know, where they're not really qualified for the LTE portion of it and they could get a discount. And also maybe they didn't want to have to deal with all the, uh, uh, you know, the equivalent FCC testings and, and have all that stuff have to be approved and probably licensing they have to pay for patents and all that stuff. So they probably just left it out of there because, you know, the, the GSM UMTS networks are pretty, pretty darn quick in most cases right now. So it was probably just something they decided to leave out uh, of the kind of the, the final specs. You know, this is a um, 
you know, this is an interesting topic, though, I think, for those that are uh, that are thinking about devices, you know, that are kind of we're at the cusp here of this next transition in technology where if a device now doesn't have 4G, just like, it, you know, a device from five years ago that didn't have 3G, you almost don't you want to disregard it. And that may not be the case just because, um, you know, they whether or not they decide to make it, you know, function or not is kind of the, the question here. Um, you know, and, and when you look at what this phone is based off of, which is the LG Optimus G, the Nexus 4, um, you know, is using, I think, a different chipset. I think it's the, like the MDM 9215 instead of the 9615, you know, Qualcomm chipset. So, um, but that that said, it still has a chipset that can obviously support LTE, and, and you make a good point. Maybe they just, the way that they, they got these was was not a way that, or they didn't, maybe they didn't get approval to use them in the U.S., or I don't know, who knows what it was, but uh, either way, it was, uh, <clears throat> they got them obviously at a, you know, at a deal, because obviously the device is very, uh, very, cheap i mean 299 for an 8 gig model is just unbelievable with no contract so either way you've got uh, you've got potentially lte coverage depending on if you can find yourself an lte band 4 network which at this point in north america is just in canada well we also talk about each week the cell phone junkie podcast application and if you're interested in another way to support us and for only a dollar 99 you can pick it up for either android or ios you can listen to the latest 50 shows on demand you can also cache those shows to listen to them uh, offline or in the background while you do other things on your device there's also direct access to emailing the show calling in the show and viewing uh, all of the show's news that we talk about each week that's posted with the latest episode so if you're looking to experience everything that this show the cell phone junkie weekly podcast has to offer check out our ios and android apps announced last week nokia's new here maps application for ios has arrived in the itunes app store the app uses nav tech mapping and includes live traffic public transportation information voice guided walking directions and offline map app access the app is available for the iphone or ipad on devices running ios 4.3 and higher apple this week fixed a bug in i message that had messages continuing to be sent to devices even after a remotely initiated hard reset had occurred. This meant if you had your phone stolen and remotely initiated a wipe of the device, it would continue to send new messages upon reboot. In a report from the Next Web, according to a source with knowledge of Apple's steps to correct the matter, the issue has been fixed in iOS 6 through a variety of checks placed on iMessage. The most important of these is that Apple now uses its push systems to force a user to re-enter a password to use iMessage once your I- Apple ID credentials have been changed. That means if your phone is stolen, you can change your Apple ID password and all of your devices will require that password to be re-entered before anyone can use iMessage on it. The next web says that moving your SIM into a new device and wiping the phone will also stop the flow of messages. Joe, you actually pointed this one out, and I think this is a, a really good thing to pass on for those that are using iMessage. I know I personally have uh, was concerned about this in the iOS devices I've sold over the last couple of years because I wanted to make sure that no more messages were coming to them after I got rid of them. Yeah, and there was just no way to do it. I mean, once that, uh, you know, yeah, if you wiped it or if something happened where you couldn't actually turn it off before you erased the whole thing, the d- messages kept coming. And that, you know, that's a major security hole, really. I mean, it's. It, it, I'm glad they finally got this fixed, but what took them so long? Yeah, exactly. It was uh, obviously people are switching around phones. They're, you know, selling their phones. They're trading up. And, you know, if the Apple wants us to keep buying new devices, we got to get rid of the old ones. And, uh, you know, when you do that, you don't want your information and your messages going to these old devices. So thank goodness it's fixed. If you've got iOS 6, 
or later, you're going to be okay. In questions and comments this week, first up, a comment from Matthew. He says, first, great show. You guys make my Monday mornings at work not so bad. Well, thanks, Matthew, for that. Uh, he continues to say, I ran into some pr- uh, a problem that you guys did and when I was using Apple Maps um, and someone had called me. My work issued me a Galaxy Tab a few months ago, and it was great because I could hook my phone up to a hotspot, but still, that was a pain. Do you think the iPhone 5 on Verizon will ever be able to do both talk and data when they go 4G voice, or will that most likely be the next iPhone? Thanks again, Matthew. Well, Matthew, you know, going, you know, talking about the iPhone 5, uh, doing t- voice and data at the same time, I don't think is going to happen. I mean, the technology that they're going to be using for the voiceover LTE is going to be part of this next version of the iPhone, or at least the, the next chipset that gets included in what will be known as probably the iPhone 5S. Uh, yes, the, the likelihood, though, I, I think of that coming to the next version is quite high. Yeah, I, it, it, it's definitely not going to be coming to the 5 just because they, uh, they they only put a single chip in where a lot of the other Verizon Android phones actually have dual chips in them, uh, dual chipsets for wireless. So they're kind of running simultaneous cell phones, basically, is how you could describe that. And the, the, the iPhone just is not. So you have to be on Wi-Fi in order to get the simultaneous voice and data right now. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if we'll have the voiceover LTE specifications in the next iPhone or not. I'm, I'm not sure if it'll be part of it. We may, they may end up doing some sort of dual band, dual antenna thing where they can get it to go uh, over cellular. But uh, voiceover LTE, we, we may be uh, too soon for that. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm saying probably 50-50 on that. I say yes on the likelihood of simultaneous voice and data, but 50-50 on voiceover LTE. So um, I, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Next one is a question from Bobby. He says, guys, I'm happy I decided to dedicate myself to Android-based phones, but I have one major complaint. Why, without rooting the phone, can't we do a complete backup of all the data? Take my iPod, for example. If I back it up, reload it onto another iPod, iPod, everything is there, including all of my game saves, calendars, notes, settings, app placement, and folders. When I was having problems with numerous Galaxy Nexus phones and was sent to replacement, I had to re-download every app individually, make my folders on my home screen, and as some may think, this is pretty... Uh, this is petty. All of the time in, I invested in certain games were now lost. I have an app that I use for reminders instead of Google Calendar. And sure, there's a backup, but it's saved to the device, which I didn't realize and I had wiped it. Point is, I shouldn't have to go into to each app to back things up. Is it possible for Google to offer this at some point? Thanks, Bobby. Well, you know, certainly I think Google uh, should offer this at some point. Uh, and as the largest OS out there, you would think that they would, by now, this would it would be a second nature thing to them. We actually did talk about this as well back on, uh, I think it was show three number 319 yeah this is really frustrating i know because you know i had the android phones as well and i had uh i had devices that failed on me twice and it it's really silly that they that it's not built in it's not backed up to the cloud like icloud is that's one of the features why i really like the iphone because there's always a bad there's a daily backup of the thing and i that's really hard to put a price on because if the device gets lost stolen, whatever, or you got to replace it right away, just restore it and it's back to normal. Just like when I upgraded to this new iPad, I, you know, backed up the iPad too and hit restore onto this thing and just like nothing. I had to enter a couple of passwords for email and an iMessage, but that was about it. I mean, it's uh, easy, easy, but no, the Android, it's just starting from scratch. You know, some of them uh, work better than others. And it's interesting that you say, as you were getting replacement uh, Galaxy Nexus phones, that that wasn't working. Um, I, I actually saw when I was going between various versions of the Nexus that sometimes they would actually pull in um, the apps that I had loaded from the other devices that I had. Now, it didn't do folders or anything like that. That All that customizable stuff didn't, but it would grab all the old apps once I entered in uh, and loaded uh, the Google Play app. 
Yeah, that would uh, sometimes that worked a couple times for me, but of course there's no data in them. I mean, they're just like starting from scratch, and mm-hmm, of course, uh, yeah, it would save. I think a, maybe a Bluetooth setting and some of the Wi-Fi passwords, and that was about it. So fairly, uh, fairly worthless. So the uh, the two options that we recommend to take a look at um, that may work for you here, and yes, I know there's rooting involved, but. Um, my backup pro and titanium backup both of these um, are, are ones that are you know relatively well known in the android world so check both of these out either my backup pro or titanium backup we'll put some links in the show notes for you for those bobby under question from bobby and then we've got a question from sorum he says hi mickey and joey could you point me uh to the recording equipment that you guys are using once again uh well let me, let's kind of review this here it's actually uh we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks so uh, i will just kind of go through my setup here, which is, is pretty simple, actually. Uh, it starts off with a Sterling Audio ST79 microphone. Uh, that's an XLR-based microphone. That's plugged into an MXL MicMate Pro, uh, and that is then powered over a USB cable that's plugged directly into my computer. All of that is attached to a scissor arm that I have hooked up to my desk, and then we just use just kind of open-source software to do the recording of this, and uh, that's that's pretty much it. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty simple set up the microphone itself uh, is relatively high end and so that's where the, the the rich sound comes from and why i really enjoy using this mic and why i haven't even thought about getting anything else because i think it works very well uh, it's not necessarily dedi- uh, specific for podcasting it's it's more of a um, like a vocal recording microphone or, or uh, you know even even music recording um, it's it's relatively versatile but it's not like your your typical um, you know, road microphone or, or anything like that. It's, it's, it's a little bit, it's a little bit different, but ultimately I think it creates pretty decent sound. Yeah. I have a road here, uh, but it's, but it's a higher end one. It's a NT2 model. So it's, it, it is more of a studio, uh, mm-hmm. microphone. It's not just, uh, the basic, the basic ones. So, uh, that's fed into a Behringer, uh, voice, uh, specific compressor to, uh, to, to mold the sound to be a little bit better and to reduce background noise and to keep, uh, keep things a little bit cleaner sounding here so that's uh basically and that's fed right into a uh bearing mixer and then also then right into the computer for the digital analog to digital conversion for recording and when i said it's the one i have is a little bit higher and then when a road i meant the road podcaster and if you want to hear the difference between that just listen to the end of the show the the outro to this show um, where I jump in and I say, you know, this, I don't remember what I say, something about this is brought to you by or something, whatever it is. The very last thing after the music kicks in, um, it was recorded with a Rode Podcaster microphone, which is a relatively uh, basic podcasting microphone. And, and so you can really tell a difference in the sound quality from, you know, the last couple of words that I say of the show and then going into the outro uh, after the music gets going. So uh, either way, uh, if you're kind of trying to figure out some different ways uh, to do these types of things, you know, what we're doing. Um, is a little bit different because we both record our our podcast and uh, our our tracks on either end and we mix them together and that's what I think makes it um, you know sets it apart from most other shows because what you typically hear is just a Skype recording and so you've got one person that sounds decent and then everyone else um, does have uh, you know kind of a more of a uh, digitized sound, if you will. So uh, either way, we uh, we do that uh, with that equipment, and hopefully that, that gets you in the right direction. Thank you very much for that question. And uh, we've got next here a question from Mike. Uh, this is, uh, he says, Mickey and Joey, long-time listener, but first time asking a question. I live in a very rural area, and I have no options for internet except for Verizon Wireless. I have an old plan that offers unlimited usage, and I'm using a Sierra 595U modem. I've tried other modems, but this one seems to work the best. I 
I'm right on the edge of coverage, and to make matters worse, I'm surrounded by trees and live at the bottom of a valley. I normally get about 150 to 250 kilobits a second download. Um, I've heard you guys talk about it, boosters, and I've personally researched them myself, but there are a lot of options. I figure an antenna and a booster of some kind could at least bring me up to a megabyte. I'd be flying then. Uh, could you possibly recommend something that may help? I've included my address in case you would like to check the coverage area. Thanks very much. Mike. Well, Mike, uh, great question. Um, a couple ideals uh, for you here. And, uh, you know, I've done actually a lot of reviews on, on the wireless, uh, the signal boosters. Um, the Personally, the best one that I've ever tested is from Wilson, and it's their AG Pro 75. Um, we've got a review up on the site, and I'm going to put a link in the show notes here uh, under question from Mike. So check that out if you want to read all about that one. Um, it's very simple to use. Um, the amplifier is very powerful, and it improves the signal. Uh, pretty much the best of any signal booster I've ever used, about 5,000 square feet of, of coverage area. So that'll cover most of a you know, most of a house, um, depending on how many levels you have, you know, it'll kind of vary. And that's with a single antenna. Um, and thanks to its dual node uh, mode nature, you can use it on both the 800 and 1900 megahertz networks. So note that it does not cover either T-Mobile 1700 or the 700 megahertz LTE networks, but I'm sure they'll be coming out with something that does those. Uh, and, that, and actually that said, there is a, an AG Pro, uh, and that one works for T-Mobile. Uh, but anyway, nearly $1,000, uh, the price is a bit steep, uh, but the, the results are really worth it. Um, it's the one that not only meets, but also exceeds the claims that it makes. Um, and ultimately, I think it's probably the best one out there. You put the antenna on top of your roof and, and kind of point it at the direction in which your tower is, and then you run the, the rest of the equipment inside the house. Um, it's going to take you multiple hours to get this thing installed. But again, if you do it right, if you mount the antenna, you know, say on a, on a mast or something on your roof, uh, it's really going to make a difference and it's going to provide you some, some great results inside. So I have, uh, you know, this may not be the issue of the, the modem. I, I would say first go try to find where the tower you're connecting to is and get closer to it to see if your download speed improves. I wouldn't be terribly surprised since I, I, I looked up that Sierra model and it's a Sprint version. If you're on Sprint, that may be the most you'll ever get out of your tower due to the fact of its, its backhaul configuration. It may not get you any faster than that. So... Um, test that out before getting a signal booster because it may not do you any good to to change uh, the the signal strength. Hmm. I'm uh, I'm interested to to note too here what it's going to be like. Um, you know, with the other carriers too. I mean, obviously you talk about the area that you're in, that Verizon is, you know, is the best, but um, you know, that could be changed if you've got a signal booster as well. So that's something else to consider is that if you do decide to go with something like this, which, which amplifies multiple bands, uh, just because Verizon was the only carrier uh, that worked for you in that area, um, you know, maybe AT&T has got three or 4G coverage. Uh, and certainly if it's not LTE, their, their 4G, uh, what they call 4G is, is very, very fast in many instances. And so you may actually be able to pick that up and you may actually want to change carriers as a result. Yeah. So I spaced on the Verizon Sprint thing. So yeah, okay. Verizon wireless, but this still, it, it still could be a tower limiting, uh, limiting issue that they've got. Normally Verizon is much quicker than that. And you should be able to get with the Evito Rev A on there. Should be able to get, you know, 1.5. Uh, and I've seen up even beyond that with the Evito Rev A. So yeah, it, it could be just the, your distance or it could be the, the tower itself. Now, if you're not happy about that price, the AG Pro 75 at about $1,000, uh, you know, you have some other results or some other options there. 
Um, I've had decent results uh, with one from a company called Maximum Signal, and they call theirs the Maximum Signal Wireless Amplifier. Um, it's about half the price, uh, just around $500. Not as robust, but uh, certainly still uh, works very well. Uh, that's something that I use on a, on a daily basis to help provide me enhanced coverage uh, for those uh, 800 and 1900 megahertz systems that I use in my office. Now, if you're looking for something a little bit cheaper, um, the Wilson Sleek 4G or 4GV um, is also one that I use every single day. Uh, this is for specifically for my iPhone and other LTE-enabled Verizon devices. Um, it's a cradle-style amplifier, meaning that it's for stationary devices. So it could, of course, work with your Sierra modem uh, if you've got that. Uh, if you can get that somehow, I don't know what you're using to, uh, to what you have that plugged into. If it's a cradle point or something, but uh, you'd want to put the modem inside of this cradle, uh, and then it comes with I don't know maybe a 15 foot cord or something like that. So you'd have to take that that cord and it's got a little external antenna and try and get it up as high as you possibly can. Um, it's about 150 bucks online. Uh, you can get it uh, and use it in either your home office or vehicle. Um, so it's probably the cheapest of, of the options that are out there. Also very easy to set up. Uh, and uh, all three of these products can be found uh, and the reviews, I should say, can be found in the reviews section over at the cell phone junkie.com. And uh, so, you know, mo- for the most part, you've got, you've got three different styles here. One that's incredibly high end, one that's kind of the the more mobile uh you know mobile style and something that you more more than likely use in a vehicle but can be used in an office and then something in between so check these out see if any of these would make sense for you and let let us know if you have any questions with that but hopefully we can we can get you on your way to finding some better coverage there in your area. Thanks again for the question. Much appreciated, Mike. And if you have anything that you'd like us to talk about, you can send us your questions to questions at the cell phone junkie.com or give us a call 206-203-3734. We'll get your questions and or comments on a future show. Joey, thank you very much as always for your time. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening. For more information about the stories you've just heard, visit us at thecellphonejunkie.com.